This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 55. Take 27. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Brandon Turner. Hey, Brandon, you realize this is like our 28th take of this intro. This is, <laughs> I think it's like our 50th take of this intro. That's all oh right. My goodness. You know, now people know our secrets that we actually suck at this. Uh, maybe that wasn't a secret. You <laughs> <laughs> suck. You uh, suck. Anyway, big day today. Big day. It is a big day. You know why it's a big day? Tell it's me. a big day because the Bigger Pockets podcast has reached a pretty cool milestone. One million. One million listens. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. One million. That's a huge so, number. I can't even fathom that number. Okay, I can. It's but. it's amazing, man. I mean, fifty four shows, we we hit a million listens. I I don't know. I'm I I'm pretty proud. I'm pretty proud of that. I think we've we've uh, brought tons of really good information to people through the show, and and I think the the fifty four preceding shows to this one have have just been of incredible value. So. Uh, thank you to everybody for 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 listening. We we definitely appreciate you guys. Uh, yeah, you guys uh, rock. Trust in us. Yeah, you do rock. Yeah. And uh, if you think we rock, <laughs> come leave us in a, re- sure. a review in iTunes. There you go. Yeah, actually, I wasn't going to tell them that. Oh, I was going to say, spread the word. Let other people oh. know about the show. You know, tell other people to come check it out. Biggerpockets.com/slash/podcast. Put it on your Facebook pages in that little share link. Put in www.http colon slash slash www.biggerpockets.com slash podcast. Share that link with your friends, your family, with everybody. Help educate them in real estate investing. Help us help them. Help us help you. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. You like that? Yeah, Jerry, there you yeah. go. Well, Jerry, Jerry McGuire of you. That was me, man. That was me. Show me the money. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. Yes, moving on. So today we are going to skip our quick tip. And the reason quick we're going to skip our quick tip is we have a couple really, really good ones in this coming show. So uh, pay, pay very close attention. Uh, with that, why don't we just kind of dive in here? So this, uh, this show is featuring Mr. Jimmy Moncrief. And uh, Jimmy is a real estate investor in the Tennessee area who also has a day job working as a real estate investment underwriter. So basically, Jimmy's the guy ultimately ultimately responsible for saying yes or no on loans, which is why we wanted to have him on the show today. Uh, What we're going to do, we're going to pull back the curtain for you guys uh, on the lending industry and show you exactly how you can get loans for your real estate deals. Uh, If you don't think it's that big a deal, this is a huge deal. This guy is going to give you insight that you may not have ever gotten before. Um, talking to these underwriters is a rare privilege, so uh, we're, we're especially excited. I know I know, I am. Yeah, me too. This is going to be an awesome show. Yeah. So, uh, of course, the show notes for today's episode can be found on biggerpockets.com slash show 55. That's show 55. And uh, we invite you to come leave comments or ask questions if you've got them. Jimmy will be participating and will be answering your questions for you. So, uh definitely be sure to ask them on the show notes. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. 
There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Take control of your investments and secure more passive income today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. Anyway, with that, why don't we get to the show and, and get this thing started? So Jimmy, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah, we're we're happy to have you on here. Uh, you know, I've always I'm always really uh I always really look forward to your posts every week on the Bigger Pockets blog, and uh, they're always entertaining and uh, informative. So hopefully, we can bring out some of that today on the podcast. Sounds good. All right, all right. Well, uh, Josh, you want to ask the first question, or do you want me to do it? I, I think I think I could manage, Brennan. Thanks right. for asking. Yeah, I'll be a gentleman. Take it. Do I need permission to scratch my nose too? <laughs> you might. Go ahead. All right, Jimmy. So tell us about how you got started in real estate. All right. Well, let me uh, let me back up. I got started by accident, but I kind of got started in investing when I was uh, twelve. Uh, <laughs> actually, <laughs> wow. So uh, nice. it, yeah, I wasn't uh, good at sports. Uh, so you know, for the international bigger pockets members, yeah, that's that's very bad in America. If you're if you're bad at sports you're uh you're pretty much just put away locked in a closet so uh i'm raising my hand as well that was me. yeah so uh when i was 12 i won a stock market competition so my parents were like yes he's good at something <laughs> <laughs> nice nice so i started so reading- they strap you to a computer and force you to, <laughs> to figure out the buys and sells and they're they're totally rich and retired now right thanks to 12 year old jimmy <laughs> This was like pre-computer, uh, showing my age a little bit, but the uh, they did uh, pretty much lock me in a library for the summer <laughs> after that. 
And then I, um, so what did I do? I want to start wearing competitions. So then I started like reading Warren Buffett books and Peter Lynch books. And that kind of got me into stock investing. And then I got a job at a, a hedge fund after college and became a partner there. But in between, you know, buying my first house and moving, we just, uh, it was so much easier just to rent our house out and then move. So we just tried that. And then, you know, a couple of years later, after analyzing my investments, I, I realized that, you know, my, my, this little rental property that we really didn't think anything about was doing better than, the, you know, my stock market portfolio. So <laughs> that's when I really started focusing on real estate. Yeah. Well, hey, I actually have yeah. a question about that. We, we've yeah. never really talked about this with any guests yet. And that's the idea of, I know we're kind of interrupting your story, but, you no. know, uh, the, the idea of... we would be you, Brandon, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, right. I'm listening and paying attention. I am paying attention. Well, I want to know uh, more about the idea of, you know, you rented out your first house. I mean, you lived in a house, you moved because it was easier to rent it. And then that's how you got started. That's also kind of, I guess, how I got started in a way. And a lot of people do. So uh, maybe we can just, I don't know, touch on that for a minute. Uh, what made you actually think, you know, like this was a good idea? Did you actually look at like the cash flow or was it really just the market's bad? I can't sell or, or how did that kind of decision play into that? Yeah, great question. It wasn't, uh, I should come up with a really sophisticated answer, but <laughs> <laughs> like when you were asking that question, I was like, oh man, I, I, I should right now have a very sophisticated answer for him. <laughs> but, uh, it was honestly just like, it was, it looked uh, so much easier <laughs> than yep. just rent it and, and then like sell it and have two mortgage payments while you're trying to sell it. And uh, we knew we could rent it out for a couple hundred extra bucks over our mortgage payment. So, you know, my wife and I were just like, Hey, you know, we didn't have kids at the time. And we were like, you know, worst case scenario, this is an awful experience. And we sell it after the, we try the rental thing. So yep. it wasn't a sophisticated analysis. Like it maybe should have been, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't even think so. Like That's fine. Yeah. you don't know what you don't know when you're starting out, but um, I, I think that's in a really, really good way for people to get started with real estate is just turning their own ho homes into, you know, property, especially, you know, you can get, you can get homeowner loans for a lot cheaper than you can usually get investment loans and the rates are usually better and you can just move and, and keep doing that, you know, up to a certain number of, of properties. So it's uh, cool Absolutely. to hear you say that. Uh, cool. All right. Well, uh, anyway, moving on back to the story. <laughs> so what happened next? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so then that worked out okay. And then I, um, so then I got involved and I, I found a multifamily, a triplex that went, uh, that was empty and it was just a, um, great, uh, investment. I thought by the numbers anyway, we got it for 80 and we, uh, all three sides could rent out with for 550 a side at the time. And, uh, so the cash flow was pretty awesome with that. So that is what really got me into multifamily where I'm at now. But uh, feel free to interrupt if you have any questions, obviously. But oh, no, during we that process, we're, we're okay. polite. We don't, we don't interrupt. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to interrupt. I do have a question. So okay. uh, 80,000, 550 aside. You said 550 aside? Uh, yeah, 550 unit, triplex. Okay, yeah, 550 yeah. per unit. So you're bringing in, do my math homework, 1650 a month on an 80,000 investment. That's better than the the 2% rule. That's that's great. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, how did you find that good deal? It was, uh, I, I've had the best luck in 
not doing anything I'm with the MLS and just finding those uh, like for sale by owner signs that are, this was like a classic. It was some sign stuck in a yard in a street that nobody goes down. (laughs) So it was like, yeah, not the best move if you're the seller, but it was a good move for us because he, I don't know, (laughs) it was a really great area of town, but it was just not a through street. Nobody went down the street, but the three people that lived on it. And, um, Mm. I don't know. So it was, it, that's how I found stuff. Just unfortunately, I don't have a, a systemized like process online, but I've, I found my best deals like that. So, um, was it an MLS deal? Was it listed? No, like I've, and that's my thing. I've only bought one house, the one I'm in now, and it was an MLS, but it's very exogenous circumstances, how I got a good deal on my current house I'm living in. But it normally I just don't have, I don't know. It's just a real, a waste of time dealing with the MLS. And I'm just speaking of me and I'm probably not doing, you know, I'm sure there's like a hundred thousand realtors listening to this podcast. It was like, well, that's cause you're doing it wrong. And you're probably right. <laughs> <lying. laughs> I'm sure I am. I'm doing everything wrong. I'm sure. So, but yeah, that's nice. just what's worked for me. Yeah. Well, so Jimmy, first of all, can you please define exogenous, a word I've never heard in my life? <laughs> Just uh, very extraordinary circumstances. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, nice. Yeah. All right. No, no, it's good. It's just a word I've never heard. I assume that's, <laughs> it was something like that. But, you, you know, we're, we're here to learn and I'm learning. Um, so it sounds to me like your, tech, your method, your technique is to go on the map find every dead end street in <laughs> your in your area and then basically circle those dead ends once once a week once every two weeks hoping that somebody on those streets is doing a fisbo and knowing that no one else is going to ever see that property and grabbing it and getting a great deal by the way which if that was what you're doing it's kind of a good idea very labor intensive but <laughs> a very cool strategy that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I love for serious. Yeah, I mean, I I love it. Like it, it just uh, because I have a defined area. I'm not driving around the state of Tennessee. You know, look, I have a defined area that I like, and uh, just the side streets, dead end streets, and people just throw like these for sale by owner signs out that get stolen, and <laughs> you know, so most of the time, it's interesting with these for sale by owners. They uh, the seller doesn't think. It's um it's moving fast, but in reality their signs are getting stolen. <laughs> so uh that's really the reason. And now are you the guy who's stealing still signs? No. <laughs> question. no. Come on, Jimmy. This is confession. Yeah. I, I could see that being the the next big, you know, uh nine ninety seven training course on how to get a good deal. Just go steal all the signs. Yeah. That actually work. Extra cash flow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Self and Craigslist. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Wow, that's impressive. So, so Jimmy, how did you actually finance that triplex? Then, did you pay all cash for that, or did you get a loan? Okay, great question. And that is, that's exactly uh, this transaction is why I got really interested in real estate finance. Uh, because just for a backstory, at the time I was a partner at a hedge fund. I was a my I was buying it with a business partner and he was an executive at an insurance company. So at the time, like, you know, we both had 800 plus credit scores. We had over a hundred thousand dollars in liquidity. We, uh, you know, made great money. We 
no real debt. And uh, we couldn't get a loan. It was crazy. <laughs> we called like 10 wow. different banks. Like I was in charge of getting us financing and he was in charge of like, we were going to fix it up. So he was in charge of dealing with the contractors. And I called him after like the uh, 10th bank. I was like, man, we're having a problem. Like we can't get a loan. He was like, you can buy the bank. The- yeah. <laughs> He was like, what are you talking like, about? I'm going to pay cash for the bank, but I can't get a loan from the bank, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? We're having trouble getting a loan. We don't even need a loan. I was like, I know. <laughs> this is like the craziest thing I've ever seen, like I've ever experienced. So when people complain about bankers and banks, I completely understand. Like, it's crazy. So so what do you think your like maybe mistake or maybe it was just the times or what what happened? Why was it so bad? Why are we getting turned down? And I know that probably leads us into our next, you know, uh, conversation about what you do nowadays. But I'm just curious, what what was it that was wrong? Well, I was, uh, yeah, I mean, that's my big platform is like, you know, what I like to like talk about on the Bigger Pockets blog is, you know, it's just I was just going about the process the completely wrong way. So this is my big platform, okay, Brandon, is that people go generally investors go about financing and even investing, I would say the exact backwards way, you know, everybody goes and hunts for a deal and they spend all this time analyzing and looking at deals, but they spend very little time looking and figuring out a good financing structure and developing financing contacts and banker contacts. So that's, that's my big platform is, you know, I was just going about the process the completely wrong way. You know, I was, it was during the, you know, this was the fall of 2008, you know, the world is coming to an end. And of course I'm calling all these banks that they don't know me. I don't really know them. And I'm asking for a loan. And even though it was just like, you know, 60, 70,000 bucks, it was still like, there was no relationship there. There was no, they didn't know my finances. I don't know. They didn't know my story, my business partner's story. So that's my big platform and uh, what I like to teach people. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's great. Yeah. That's really great. So, so you ultimately, I'm guessing you then went and transitioned from this guy who didn't know the banks to somebody who went out and really started to get to know all these guys. And how, how do you do that? I mean, what, what's it about? What do I do when I show up at the bank or, or when I call them and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm Josh. I want to, you know, I found this great deal or, and I, I, you know, I'm doing this professionally now. I'd love to start working with your, your company. What does that conversation look like for the typical person? And what, what is it, what does it look like for somebody like you, uh, who's, who's getting them to say, yeah, you know, things are good or Brandon, you know, Hey, we want to extend you a new line of credit or, you know, any of the guys who are out there really killing it. Yeah. Great question. Um, and let me, let me take a step back from that. Uh, Josh, here's what you really want to do is treat this like a sales process. Okay. So instead of, you know, most people come in and just, you know, they already have their tax returns and they're just ready to like, you know, throw up on a banker, you know, with all their tax returns. And instead of doing that, reverse the process and you be the prize. Okay. So when you go into a banker's office, don't just tell him your deal and, you know, this is what you want. Reverse the process and you tell him or you interview the banker and you ask them, like, what kind of loans are you looking for? You know, I would reverse the entire process that most people do. And that's like what I like to teach on the Bigger Pockets blog and all kinds of yeah. places. 
So, so it's a, essentially you're going from, well, you know, please, please give me a loan to listen. We're interviewing a lot of banks. We're looking at various products to see which are best for us. I'd like to hear from you what you can, what you can offer to me, not, oh, please give me money. What can you offer me? Is, exactly. is that kind of what you're doing? That's exactly it. And I know you guys haven't, uh, haven't done your quick tip yet, but uh, like right, but right. The, if you're listening to this and you're in your office, uh, I want you, I want your listeners to write this down uh, right now. This is something you can do if you're listening to this on a Monday. This is something you can do this week that takes less than an hour that can have a dramatic difference in your real estate investing. Uh, write down two community banks, okay, and then. Write down, uh, you know, preferably uh, the a small two s- smaller community banks. Then write down two small credit unions, and then two maybe regional banks. And so now you've got six contacts. Uh, go on LinkedIn, try to find a commercial banker at those financial institutions, and call them and try to meet face to face if you can. And do exactly that, interview them and ask them, you know, before you just, you know, present yourself and it's like, hey, I'm Brandon Turner, I'll invest in multifamily properties. Don't tell me, you know, ask them what kind of loans are they looking for? And if they're not looking for multifamily properties to finance, ask, well, who is? And they'll give you referrals. That's a good idea. It's a good tip. I can actually, I mean, kind of testify to that. I think I mentioned a month ago or so here on the podcast about for the first time ever, I had a banker actually call me and wanted to develop a relationship. And I felt totally on the other end of that thing. Like they were trying to get me to come in and I was the prize. Just like you said, for the first time, I'd ever, I never felt like that before. And that was just a fundamental shift in the way that I think in, in terms of before it was always I was begging for things and I needed things. Granted, I still need things, but it became a kind of a cool fundamental shift that I encourage people to do as well. Start thinking of yourself as, as the prize. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a a definitive distinction there, you know, in, in just the thought process. I mean, bottom line is you're not begging. You're not saying, Hey, you know, come on, you know, this is a great deal. And they're like, well, no, no, it's not that great a deal. It's not about the deal anymore. It's about, you know, I, you know, I say the same thing when it comes to, to property management. Most people, you know, especially when they start, will go and they'll start, um, they'll meet a property manager and they're kind of trying to sell their property to the property manager. And that's, you can't do that. It's the <laughs> yeah. total opposite. It's yeah. you're interviewing them. They yeah. work for you and you have to understand that. And, and the same thing I think goes with the banker. They work for you. I mean, in, in, in many ways, you know, yeah. and if you can shift the thinking to, they work for me. They're providing my loan. I'm granted. I'm servicing it. I'm paying it. I'm taking care of, you know, via via this property. You know, suddenly you're in a whole different ballgame. You're you're no longer like, oh, you know, I'm desperate for money. Now it's you're competing against four, five, seven other companies who have the potential to get in on this opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about if you can take one thing away from this podcast. I mean, I would say that would be it. Is Reverse the podcast with whoever you're getting a loan from, uh, you know, because in reality, there's, you know, lending money is a commodity, you know, I mean, it's so it's you should work that to your advantage. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hey, 
Hey, let's talk about real quick. What do you, because a lot of this hinges on what you do for a living now, what your career is. What, what exactly do you do? And can you kind of tell us about that? Okay, great question. So I'm a bank credit officer. So I'm, uh, you know, when you're like, you go in and like you were saying, uh, I guess a loan officer took you out to lunch or something, Brandon, you know, and that's like the sales guy and he's wanting to, you know, close loans. I'm the opposite of that. I'm the guy who says yes or no. So I'm like, you know, when they're like, oh, I want to do your deal, Brandon, but the underwriter says no, you know, I'm like the bad guy, you know, <laughs> that they blame. So I'm the guy that, yeah, like the risk management. I hate guy. that guy. I know. Yeah. Everybody hate. Everybody hates that guy, Brandon. Except for yeah. when he says yes, then everyone loves that guy. Yeah, yeah it's but yeah. but they don't really love him because he may say no the next time. So right. You know. Yeah, that's, that's the re- reason they keep uh, keep you hidden. Like you never meet the underwriter, right? You just always just say, "Oh, in underwriting," and it's never like, "Oh, Jimmy said no." It's always just like, "Oh, the underwriter said no." So, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, they come to your house and uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. He's a yeah. little guy they hide in the back closet. <laughs> so being yeah, so like being an under so being an underwriter and a real estate investor is like being an IRS agent and doing your taxes at the same time. It's a little weird. <laughs> nice. Yep. 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 That makes sense. Oh, that's great. That's great. So so then, what is it? You know, other than what we just talked about, as as the underwriter, I mean this this is a pretty unique opportunity for for us and for the listeners to kind of learn a little bit more on the inside. What is it that you're looking for? You know, as an underwriter, I come, you know, we already talked to your bank. Your bank wants my business. Your bank being everybody but you so far, the little nasty, angry guy in the back room. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you want? What are you looking great, for? Yeah, great question, Josh. And um, so all banks have credit policies. So before I put anybody to sleep, I'm not going to, you know, talk like numbers and uh, exact credit policies, but I'll, I will talk about like, all underwriting, whether it's with a community bank, credit union, I've been a you know underwriter at a Fortune 500 company, and um, but even a hard money lender, we all have a uh, a five C foundation uh, framework, which all lending pretty much goes through. So I'll talk about that if uh, yeah. if you want me to the five yeah, Cs. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So if, again, if your listeners are like at an office, you know, write it, you know, it might behoove of you to write this down. Okay. So the five C's are character, capacity, capital, conditions, and collateral. Okay. So uh, the first one, character, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about relationships and just, you know, developing that, uh, you know, relationship with your banker, what kind of, you know, character reputation do you have in the community? You know, you obviously don't want to, uh, do make a loan to a convict or whatever. So that's, that's that. That's pretty straight. Josh, you're out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's giving me the stink eye into the camera. Anyway. (laughs) All right. right. Speaking of convicts, by the way, just to interrupt, my my next door neighbor's house was broken into last night. And I'm like, God, man, what's wrong with people? Hey, Jimmy, I think I know who broke into his house. Oh, man. Oh, shut up. Looking for some new clothes or something. Oh, God. All right. Back back to character. Yeah, back to character. Sorry, I had (laughs) to digress there, Jimmy. Speaking of character, obviously, I need to find a co-host with better character. (laughs) Ouch. Anyway, so uh, okay. So All character. right, character. Let's get back yeah. to character. All right, character. So we got character covered. Okay, uh, capacity is the next one. 
So this is where a, the analytics really come in. So your capacity as a borrower, it's basically like, you know, my name is Jimmy Moncrief. I'm the borrower. How much debt can I personally handle? Or, you know, my company is called, let's say, Moncrief Incorporated. How much debt can Moncrief Incorporated with a personal guarantee, you know, how much can that cover? How much debt service can he cover? What's his liquidity situation like? So that's really where the analytics come into play. Okay. So the next one is capital. And again, that's a very analytical C on, you know, how well capitalized are you? Um, how much money have you personally invested in the business? What's your balance sheet looking like? Things like that. Uh, conditions is another C. And that's basically, you know, that was, you know, in the fall of 2008, I bought this multifamily property. It was like, obviously, it was a horrible economic conditions, you know, but, uh, you know, now it's not a good time. Banks look at, uh, land, you know, raw land is very bad. You know, it's a bad time to buy land, I guess. So, uh, you know, to kind of look at that and, uh, I know, and you guys have been talking a lot about distressed areas, you know, I know that's a hot subject in the forums, uh, like Detroit, right? So obviously the conditions in Detroit aren't great. Uh, so you have to just take that into effect when you're underwriting, uh, and the last one's collateral. And hey, Jimmy, really quick. Yeah. Jimmy? Yeah. 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 Can you not bash on Detroit, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bashing anything. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> we don't ever bash not, Detroit on the show. No, we love Detroit, right? Yeah, whatever. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. Uh, can we, all right. Back to it. <laughs> all right. So uh, so the, the last C is collateral. And that's that's the hot topic. Uh, that's what a lot of uh, the vast majority of people that you know uh, like email me uh, on my blog or whatever, they, or ask me in the forums, are like, "How do I get around this eighty percent LTV rule?" You know, on the collateral and things like that. So you know, they and that's why appraisals are required and things like that. But they want to look at you know the obviously the appraised value and just however else they can get a good collateral value for your lending capacity. So. All right, so the five C's are character, capacity, capital, conditions, and collateral. Uh, I actually would love if we can just dive into each one of those just a little bit more. Absolutely. Would would my assumption be correct that you would say if a person can master all five of these, then a loan would be no problem? I mean, is that kind of the the ideal? That's absolutely correct, yes. All right, so that's what I was thinking. If if we talk about each one of these in a little bit more detail, how can a person improve each one of these? So we'll just start at the top. Yeah. Yeah, character. It's a great idea. Well, you could stop being such a. <laughs> Thanks. How do I improve my character, Jimmy? I mean, like, uh, I'm going to show up to the bank as as it as it regards to the bank, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I was about to say, Brandon. Yeah, I, don't know. Yeah. I think you might have been. You're, you're gone too far. I think it might be. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gone. But as, it wouldn't yeah. be hard. A step a step up wouldn't be difficult. <laughs> if you, if right. Really thank, but thank for you. the other for the rest of the bigger pockets listener. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, what you can do, uh, character wise, several things. Uh, one, you want to be. Uh, well, the the best thing you can do from a lending perspective. is lending perspective is just get not just to walk into a blank a bank not knowing anybody but just get referrals so from you know for me I'm even for me I mean I'm a banker but when I go to the RIA every time I go to a um I'm actually organizing a bigger pockets meetup and we've met 
uh, a little bit here in Chattanooga, and we talk about that every meeting. We talk about who are who are you guys getting a loan from? You know, <laughs> like who's lending? How's that going? And in turn, they not only just tell me who what banker they're dealing with. But I will ask them, I go, you know, my friend Thomas, who I met on Bigger Pockets, I was like, hey, can you let John Smith at at ABC Bank let him know I'm gonna call and, you know, just like to talk? And because he gives that referral, my character is already in good in a better standing than if I was just a cold call, you know, John Smith at ABC Bank. That is such a good tip. That's uh such a good tip because, and I don't think a lot of people do that, right? Like we, I get together with other landlords and we talk about, you know, I don't know, our latest land, uh, landlording story or horror tenant story yeah. or whatever, or I'll yeah. share like my maintenance guy, you know, Hey, you should use this guy. But I don't think I've ever asked one of my landlord friends, you know, Hey, who are you getting your loans from these days? Who can you introduce me to? That is an excellent idea. Yeah. Well, now, now my thought on that is this, and, and I'm curious if you've run across this. My thought is, A, a lot of people are going to be stingy about that. Like, oh, I'm not going to share that. You know, you, there's only so much money and you're not going to get, you know, they talk like that too, by the way, when they do it. <laughs> no, but, but, you know, it's, you know, the, the whole idea, even a bigger pocket, say, like I'm going to digress for a second. Like when I first started bigger pockets, a lot of people were like, well, why would I go on the site and help other people in my area? Why would I, why, why would I provide my secrets? You know? Well, there's no secrets, but, but, you know, I think people still have that mentality. So my question is, you know, has that been something you've run across? And, and if so, how do you kind of get around it? Man, it's, uh, that's an interesting, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting issue. I've never ran into that. Uh, especially all the people I've met on bigger pockets locally here in Chattanooga that, you know, that's never been an issue. It's, we're always, uh, helping great. each other out. Yeah. And it's, um, what I will say, and I know that it's uh, we don't have enough time on this podcast or ever to talk about complaints about banks, but uh, <laughs> but one one big complaint is, that I see that's false is you know all banks aren't lending. Okay, well obviously that's like you know that's just like saying I own rental property and I don't rent anymore. You know what I mean? I'll just yep. like to keep my houses empty. Like <laughs> it, what? Yeah. What that really is is like you know banks aren't making like that type of loan. So like in my situation in the fall of 08, they weren't making multifamily property loans across a ton of banks weren't making that type of loan. So that's, so when you hear that a complaint from somebody like, Oh, I love my banker, but they don't make hotel loans. Well, ask that's, and that's again, going back previously in the podcast is why it's important to go interview banks and go interview bankers to see what type of loans they're looking for. So you don't waste your time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that good makes advice. A ton of sense. Yeah, oh, very yeah. cool. All right, uh, next yeah. one. So we talked about character a little bit and uh, improving that capacity. So let's talk a little bit more about that. How do how does somebody improve their capacity? Okay, so this is really driven uh, a lot by your history, your borrowing history. So this is, I hate credit scores. Um, you know, I, I'll have a big tangent on credit scores. I can, <laughs> I can go off on that tangent if you guys want me to, but, uh, but yeah, they, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, well, well, I mean, and the reason I say yes is this, yeah. I mean, you've got a unique perspective as somebody, again, you know, it's rare that we get to talk to somebody in your position, in your shoes. And, and I think for me, I'm fascinated. You know, I, I know a credit score isn't, you know, it's just a number, right? It's an algorithm. Yeah. 
exactly right. The credit score was developed for like the lowest common denominator on in lending, right? Like when you go in and you ask like the whoever is at the teller line, like, can I get a loan? And she's like, you know, what's your credit score? And it's like, oh, it's below 800. No, you can't get a loan. It's like the a credit score doesn't give any value to your liquidity, to your income, to your, you know, I have seen the craziest circumstances. I've seen people with $8 million of cash, no personal debt, and a 480 credit score. You know, I've seen the craziest of circumstances um, that, uh, you know, but mortgage people just, they just rely on them as like a foundational element of their underwriting. But uh, I'm a commercial underwriter and, uh, and so I just think it, they're ridiculous because, you know, I've seen just last week, I saw where somebody paid off a million dollar line of credit and their credit score went down. So their cash yeah. was up. Uh, their cash last year was around 50,000. Their cash position now is around 300,000. And they paid off a million dollar line of credits. So they have less debt and their credit score went down about a hundred points. So, I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know, to rely on a credit score. So that's another, uh, uh, quick tip, as you guys like to call it. Quick like, tip. So when you got <laughs> like, so write this down if you're listening to this in an office. If you, you know, if somebody turns you down for a loan for a credit score, just at, just don't just hang up and get mad. I know that's easy to do, but at here's the question to ask specifically: What in the credit score did, concerned you? Okay. So then that forces the issue of they actually have to read the credit score and figure out what's going on. Because a lot of times it's, uh, uh, well, okay, I saw this three weeks ago. Some, uh, they, this guy had a low credit score because he had a maxed out line of credit on his HELOC. His HELOC was maxed out. Well, he didn't have a first mortgage and it was like a million dollar property and his HELOC was 300 grand. So the credit score is saying, oh, this guy's maxed out. It's like, no, that's not the case at all. He got a 3% HELOC. And of course, you know, that's a good deal. So, yeah. you know, um, so ask specifically what concerns them about their credit score. And a lot of times that's, uh, that will open up the conversation to where it's a fixable problem. Yeah, that's yeah. great advice. I'm glad you went on the tangent, man. That's really, really good advice. Okay, great. So, so that's capacity. A lot of that deals with, um, like I said, your borrowing history. And unfortunately, uh, man, like those annual fees on credit cards and all that stuff, like, I mean, that'll just tear you up. So just, you know, get, you know, whatever, you know, try to get that fixed up and get a free credit report if you can. Um, it also, like, you really want to, um, that's where the ratios depend on like your liquidity ratios, you know, and you really want to have, um, you know, a fair amount of cash. So when we were getting that loan for the triplex, you know, it was like they did the analysis of how, you know, how long can I go with this triplex being completely empty before, you know, stress starts to happen. So you want to position yourselves for, uh, for more, you know, capacity for your debt. Yeah. Well, what gotcha. about then? That's great. Let, let's say I wanted to go out and buy an apartment complex. Let's just say, or yeah. I mean, like a large one. Let's say, you know, 100 units, maybe, you know, five, $10 million. There's no possible way that me as a single borrower 
could ever pay that mortgage, right? I mean, like, yeah. there's no way I will personally ever have the capacity to do it. So how much does that play a role into things, into the property itself being able to hold the capacity versus me personally holding it? Where does that- It's a great question. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, awesome question, Brandon. And that's the uh, very ironic thing. Uh, I know in the, pre- well, I don't know when this podcast is getting scheduled, but who who is the previous, the McElroy? Yeah, Ken McElroy. Ken McElroy. Okay, yep. like- he man, I he has this quote, and I will be misquoting this, but it was <laughs> was something to the effect of like the, why he focuses strictly on bigger developments. It's like the it takes the same amount of time, and it's more money. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I have been thinking that too because it's very ironically it's it's almost easier to get a bigger loan like that than it is a smaller loan because it, that's exactly right, Brandon. You're not. <laughs> On any kind of five, ten million dollar loan, like like a big hundred plus unit apart, the lender already knows. There's no, I mean, there's honestly no point in you being a guarantor. I mean, you're going to be a guarantor on the loan if it's you know with a bank usually, but it's not that it's not going to constrict you to not getting that loan. Yep. So uh, yeah, this is a great question though. Thanks. Hey Jimmy, l- let me follow up on that. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, are you saying, uh, you know, the average guy, you know, take an average middle class person making, I don't know, you know, family making six plus figures. They've, you know, got a couple rental properties. Things are going well. Could, could one of those people then essentially go out, find a deal, you know, on, on a, on a bank, like uh, on a, uh, a big multifamily, like Brandon suggested a hundred unit at 10 million bucks, say, and and essentially present that to you and say, listen, I know the guy who's selling it. We've talked to him. Here are the numbers. It looks like a good deal. You know, would you guys consider, I mean, would you consider that average Joe, given all the other C's, you know, if everybody's kind of strict, you know, pretty much on the up and up, but nothing spectacular beyond just the deal itself. Yeah. So if the, you know, where, where would that come into play? And because it seems like, that really has to be the most important factor, um, given everything else. Great question, Josh. Uh, and look, full disclosure, I, at the bank I was at before, it was a top 10 bank and I made 10, $20 million loans all the time. And I don't, at the bank I'm at now, I don't. Our max legal lending limit is 3 million. But uh, one of my neighbors is a, he's head of multifamily lending at Wells Fargo and his minimum loan amount's 5 million. So we actually just talked about this a couple months ago. And so I'll just tell you what he told me. And that was his deals are evaluated strictly on the deal. Um, however, from an underwriting perspective, what's what's important for the personal guarantee is obviously you can't be in financial stress, okay, personally. Sure. Uh, that's one. But two, maybe even more importantly, is your experience in that. So uh, like me, I've never owned a hotel in my life, you know? So it's like, if I wanted a $20 million loan for a hotel, that, that probably wouldn't be approved. And I was going to run it, you know, that probably wouldn't be approved because I don't know anything about the hotel industry. So a lot of what he does is helps, you know, if like Brandon is, that, uh, is actually a good example, because you've got some experience in multifamily, is people that continue to do well in multifamily and just scale up, then they will 
because you've got that experience in multifamily and you're just operating, want to operate on a larger scale, then it's really that operational experience that matters more than the financial. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and that's actually a good reason why that's right. yeah, people often say, should I start should I start with a large multifamily or start with a small one? And we asked that question to Ken McElroy on uh, on show 52, I think it was. And he's, somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah. And he said, uh, he actually thinks you should start with a single family. And I, I was actually surprised and kind of taken aback when he said that because, you know, a guy who does only apartment buildings, that's all he does, why he would recommend that. But I think that's exactly why. You start with one house, then you go with another house, then maybe a duplex, then a fourplex and you get a 20 unit apartment and by that time each each step adds to that uh capacity aspect we're talking about and uh the reputation and then if i were to go in right now try to go get a hundred unit you know apartment complex i probably would have a lot easier time than most people because i've got that built up reputation yeah have you ever looked at uh, a hud loan brandon a large not a large one no i'm actually curious about that do you know anything about that well, uh, I don't, but going back to my neighbor, <laughs> it's very interesting <laughs> because it's, uh, he, he, does, again, he's head of multifamily for Wells Fargo in this area, in this region. And he, he came from California and these HUD loans, he said, it's like a pregnancy. It's like, it sounds, it's fun in the beginning. It's not so, and it's painful. <laughs> <at the end. laughs> but, uh, but, uh, he, you know, doing loans, these $5 million loans. So these are hundred plus unit, you know, apartments that he's doing. And, uh, three, he's doing 35 year AMs at three and a half percent interest rates, you know, with wow. five, with five, 5% down. It's like, wow. how wow. can you money at that? So, and that's like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But again, now it takes about not, it's not easy. It's a lot of paperwork, a lot of government, you know, all like, all, it's not easy to get them, but you know, what, what is easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. and it takes nine yeah. months, but if you can get that type of financing structure, a 35 year AM, I mean, and it's government guaranteed mortgage. I mean, a, I mean, it's, that's a good loan. I mean, that's a good structure. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's wow. awesome. I was actually just talking with Ben Labovich about that the other day, how he mentioned he wanted to buy like a large property. I said, well, we need a loan. He's like, oh, a HUD loan. And I had never even really considered that before. I, you know, you hear about HUD for, you know, the small three and a half percent down single family homes or, you know, small multifamilies. But there is a whole world out there of, of uh, FHA or whatever loans for these large properties. So, you know, someday we'll have to actually talk to a you know, a, a major, uh, you know, apartment guy that uses them. That'd be really a fascinating show. So yeah, it would be. It, if there's somebody who's listening who actually uses these HUD loans, we'd, yeah, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, hit us up for sure. Cool. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9 to 5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. 
Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with credit-worthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. All right, moving on to the next one. We talked about character and capacity. Let's talk about capital. And that was, if I remember right, my memory's terrible, but that's like how much money you have, right? I mean, essentially. Yeah, and... uh you know, what they want to see is, especially with, you know, as I said before, I'm a commercial underwriter. So they want to, you know, what I want to see is, are we on the same side of this? You know, or is the bank a true stakeholder in your company? You know, are we both positioned for benefit? Are, are you at risk in this as well as I am, right? So, uh, you know, have you put money into this company and left it? How What's the equity position like of your balance sheet, what is, you know, what you don't want to see is a company that's just every year it's in the overdraft and it's draining, you know, the owner drains the cash out of the company and, um, you know, and there's nothing left and it's just a, a very weak balance sheet. So that's, that's real, very balance sheet driven, uh, issue right there. 
Okay. Gotcha. No. Gotcha. And obviously to improve that, you, you draw less of the money out of the yeah. company, you leave cash in there and you make smart uh, decisions for your company, not just yourself. Yeah. And that's the, uh, you know, the 80% LTV, I mean, that's a regulatory driven number, but you know, there's all kinds of ratios in there. If like, let's say you get a loan on some equipment and it's a 70% LTV. I mean, all that's regulatory driven and credit policy driven, but it's really look at what's behind the scenes of like, you know, the banks are just wanting to see, make sure that y'all are on the same page and both of you guys are at risk. You know, so that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Well, nice. so what about specifics? How much money? Uh, I, I, I know that you can't really answer this directly, but let's just say I'm looking to refinance a half a million dollar apartment complex, you know, a small apartment. How much cash? Just hypothetically. Hypothetically. Right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> hypothetically. Of course. If I yeah. needed to refinance my apartment complex, do I need a hundred grand in the bank? Do I need 500 grand or do I need a thousand dollars? I mean, what, what would you feel comfortable as an underwriter seeing? You know, the well, the cash in the bank isn't that uh, that important as the appraisal of the of the property and to making sure, like, you know, I would be happy to give you a four hundred thousand dollar loan. Yep. Uh, it, you know, it, and let's say you you don't have you know because you've invested in some uh, refurnishing and you know, I don't know maybe your cash position's a little low. I mean, that's fine to even do a cash out refinance and maybe pull it up to eighty five percent LTV. So that's not as important as just making sure the the appraised value of the the apartment complex is fine. Okay, and and I do. I mean, I am self serving in that because I do need to refinance my apartment, and uh, I've been talking with this local bank. Which to bring us back to earlier, I was talking to the guy who refinanced my personal house, and then he's refinancing two of my like small multifamilies. And I mentioned to him one day I got an apartment I need to do, so he said, "Hey, let me introduce you to our lead commercial and uh, you know lender." Yeah, in, in the company. So he, we're the three of us are sitting down for like coffee next week sometime or the week after when I get back from vacation, and uh, we're going to talk about that. And that's exactly what uh, you're talking about there, introducing and, and relationships. It's perfect. Yep. Nice. Okay. Let me uh, and uh, we'll get back to the season, but I want to tell you two things, Brandon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one, try to uh, try to find another bank of that size. Okay, that's a direct competitor to that bank that's that's courting you right now for a loan. Okay, and then ask to speak with their commercial banker and tell them the situation and get a rough approximate for range. Okay, and so then when you go back, and then there's a way to do it very artfully. So you don't. What you don't want is to make both parties mad and not want to deal with you. (laughs) Obviously. But there's a skillful way to be like, I just did this actually. I just got a an unsecured line of credit. And I said, uh, and you know, it it took a little while. And I said, Are you are we still good? Cause this other bank is is they're asking for my business as well. And I can just go there if if that would be easier for you guys. And they were like, Oh no, 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 no. Do you need, do you need a reduction? Like, what do you need? What do you need? You know, nice. so they so okay, so that's the first thing to do. Um, and the second thing I was gonna mention. And this isn't necessarily uh, for you, but like before when I talked about how I called 10 banks and I couldn't get a loan and I was just doing everything the wrong way, uh, you know, that uh, what people do, like when that happens a lot, when people call around and they get a contract, let's say on a duplex, and, the, and this happens a lot with duplexes and triplexes, is they'll call and they'll get a hold of somebody that works on the front line and, and they'll be like, oh, we don't make those type of loans. And then they'll just hang up. Yeah, yep. like 
Well, that's not true at all. Like your bank makes those type of loans. You're just talking to the wrong person. So ask to speak with the small business banker or the commercial banker, you know, something of that effect. Uh, And even uh, it's very interesting. If you're dealing with a big mega bank, don't ask to speak with the commercial real estate department because they just deal with like the mega type. If you're a full-time professional, the Ken McElroy's of the world, right? And yeah. like the big publicly traded, you know, they just deal with that. So don't call and act like you're, you know, you're the man and you're about to go public next year. But, you know, if you're just needing a loan on a duplex, ask to speak with a small business banker or like a commercial banker. So those are That's just- awesome. Yeah. All right. So we, we talked about character capacity, uh, capital, and uh, wh- why don't we jump into conditions here? So can you, okay. can you expound upon uh, yeah. conditions a little bit more so we can kind of get a deeper look? Conditions is what you have the least control over, and that's just like your general economic climate. But here's the important thing to remember when you're uh, writing a letter or putting together a presentation for your lender, which I, uh, I – I think is a great thing if you're uh, serious about developing a lending relationship. So the conditions. Okay. So I think um, what the lender wants to see is they are lending on a productive asset. Okay. So that's, that's the important thing. So, uh, you know, the current condition, that's why like you have a tough time getting loans in the, in the war zone of your, you know, Detroit or whatever. It's because the conditions are bad, right? It's why you have a tough time getting a loan on raw land. It's because it's an unproductive asset. You know, it's not producing, you know, so that's what the bank wants to see is it's, are you improving the, this asset? It's, it's a good asset. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Okay. So is there, is there anything beyond just the Simple improvement of the asset. I mean, ultimately, it sounds like this is the one that's mostly out of your hands. Um, it, it really is. And it really, okay. uh, you know, conditions is, uh, it's more, again, this is all lending. It doesn't, it's not just real estate, but what they want to see, well, let's, let's say this is, uh, you've got some bigger pocket listeners that own some high-end hotels. So they're very sensitive economically to the economic downturn, you know, because it's, it's very uh, cyclical. Uh, so, uh, so that's yeah. what, you know, okay. So that's conditions. All right. Yeah. So conditions are pretty much out of your hands, but let's jump into collateral and maybe how we can improve that. All right. Great. And collateral is maybe the most important, um, so that's cash flow, of course, service in the loan, because with, you know, banks, and I'm just speaking for banks here, you know, they want to have cash flow paying back the loan, obviously. So that's what you need to show your lenders. But your collateral, you know, they want to make sure it's good collateral, but they also want to make sure that it's enough to, you know, if the loan goes bad, that, you know, they'll have enough collateral in a stressful situation to liquidate that collateral. But here's a a tip that your listeners can utilize if, um, because this happens a lot, you know, people get turned down because their appraisal, is bad, right? I mean, that, that happens all the time and uh, it's happened to me, right? But here's what you can do. 
is if you have like an investment account somewhere or something else you can pledge like, or let's say a bit, maybe a better example is if you want a line of credit, cause a lot of people want lines of credit and, um, you know, unsecured lines of credit are really hard to get is pledge an investment account or some other kind of collateral. Like maybe if you have a car paid off or whatever, so you can pledge that as collateral So uh, for your line of credit or for any kind of loan that you want approved, if you get a bad appraisal or something like that happens. Jimmy, I got a question. Yeah. Sounds kind of like what uh, Brandon does at the poker table. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, isn't that what that is? Isn't that like, hey, we're all playing poker and he's run out of cash, so he throws his car keys down? I mean, isn't that what it is? I mean, (laughs) I almost took his car a couple of times. You got it. You got it. That is, but it works. I mean, what do they call it? <laughs> yeah. Like cross collateralization or whatever. Yep, that's yeah. it. Yep, that's it. I mean, obviously yeah. that increases so, so the what risk you... quite a bit, quite a bit, because yeah, yeah. you and, lose it all. You you lose it all. Yep. But. And uh, another another problem another problem from from the uh, Lindy perspective, if something gets cross collateralized, is it's very hard. Like you were talking about refinancing your apartments, Brandon. Yeah. It's it, like let's say you're you know to get this awesome rate, you got to pledge this other little single family home that you own free and clear, and you you just cross collateralize them, no big deal. Well, it's a really big deal if if you want to sell or refinance again. Because you can't split up those assets, oh, yeah. uh, or or there's usually a big you can, but there. I mean, you always can do you know you can do anything, but there's going to be a big fee involved. There's it's like a big headache. A lot of lenders don't want to deal with it, you know. So uh, there might be a prepayment penalty. So that's another issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes. What do you What do you recommend? Sense. Sorry. Uh, I, I was going to say, what do you recommend wh- um, when it comes to cross collateralizing? You know, obviously we're we're not going to throw down your your big uh, f- fuzzy dice or your diamond ring. I mean, you know, we're we're talking about something more substantial. You know, is it typically a smaller rental property or 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 something like that? Obviously, it, it depends on on the situation. But what I I personally am am looking to do uh, this year is to. Um, utilize my, I have a, like a small little investment account with, you know, stocks and stuff and just to pledge that because here's the thing. And I like, you know, uh, I know the previous guest talked a lot about, you know, having like a, an investment account for diversification, but if those stocks in that bond portfolio, you know, is throwing off, you know, a dividend yield or something around 5% and you get a lot of credit around that same range, I mean, it's it's almost like a zero percent loan, right? Yes. Okay, so like you're not. I mean, and the the if it stocks, hopefully, it, you know, I know they crash and burn sometimes, but hopefully <laughs> they they in the long term they go up a little bit. So right. you know, you're not here, here's and this is all driven by a mistake I made. So it's like I've I've made like every mistake in the book, probably, you know, <laughs> and so like, you know, the first, first house we bought, you know, I like sold off all my stocks, even in my, uh, like some IRAs I had. Right. And I paid all these fees and penalties. Well, now I know that you don't have to do that. All you have to do is pledge those and use that. You like, you don't even have to sell them. You just pledge that. So the lender is in a good position collateral wise to make you a loan. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's great. That answer your question, Josh. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Well, so, so I'm I'm gonna kind of take it, I guess, one step 
past uh, the, the collateral. I, I, th- I think we pretty much covered that. And I, I think, um, I think these five C's are, are, are fantastic. I know Brandon yeah. and I didn't intend on having this entire show surround the five C's, but I, I think, I mean, I think this is, you know, superb information. And I, and I'm sure very few investors know about all this, especially the newer guys. So thank you. But, um, really quickly, how important are financial statements, business plans? Uh, do, do underwriters care? Do, do those come into play or are they just kind of tools for supplying the other information? Yep. Great, great, simple question. Um, here's my not so simple answer <laughs> is if, if you want to really establish yourself as, uh, you know, if you're serious about real estate investing and you're serious about wanting to develop relationships with your bankers, you know, this is what the professional real estate investors do, right? And, and is they make me a presentation that goes all through all the C's that we just mentioned. Okay. With the, with the, like, this is the deal. This is my personal financial statement. This is my tax returns, you know? And ironically, the bigger deals that I underwrite, they get done faster because these professional investors, they're, they're, it's very organized and it's, it's, I don't have to dig. I don't, you know, it's, it's, so they get done faster than these little, $30,000, $50,000 loans because then I have to go hunt around for information. They don't email in the right tax return. You know, everybody gets stuck in email hell and, you know, nobody (laughs) likes that, you know? So, uh, that's, um, so if you're serious, I mean, it doesn't take that much time at all to develop a presentation and of all your tax returns, PFS, blah, 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 a little banker's book and, um, and take it around. Yes. So, so ultimately, Ultimately, what you're doing is handing on a silver platter uh, all the information that the banker needs. And by doing that, if they're looking at you versus the other guy, that competitor that may not have wanted to share the banker with you, they're going to lose no matter what, because frankly, you're organized, you're showing your level of professionalism. You're actually, I think by doing so, improving your character uh, by saying, hey, I'm a professional. I know what you guys need. I know what you want. Absolutely. And that's the, you know, that's the thing with the reality is, is that, you know, bankers are, you know, it, going back to what we were saying earlier in the podcast about reversing this process and making it like a sales process, you're just making it easier because if you're dealing with a, a larger loan, right, for a larger apartment complex, they're going to have to take this to a loan committee, maybe the board of directors and the, the loan officer is going to have to sell you, right, to, to me, the underwriter, the credit officer. And if you've just got a bunch of random tax returns and stuff, I'm like, ah, he's not, you know, he doesn't look serious. He doesn't look like he has his stuff together. And I don't want to loan money to people who don't have their stuff together. Right. That is, that's a great, it's great. Actually, like, I I just feel totally like uh, bad now. Like I just handed my, you know, banker a few weeks ago, like just a pile of stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) right now, Brandon. I know. Now I'm like, man, I am so going to change that right now. I mean, (laughs) If I could like summarize like what kind of this whole show has been about, it's like if you just take a proactive approach to lending the way that we might make a proactive approach to our investing strategy. Yeah. Everything just works out better. It's the same roadmap uh, kind of uh, what do you call that? I was talking about a roadmap, right? You just plot things out ahead of time. Then you just follow your own map. The same thing works for lending. It sounds like. Yeah. And no one thinks of it that way. 
No, but you know, I I tell people to like you know shoot the moon. Go listen to publicly traded conference calls on publicly traded home builders or publicly traded apartment complex. You know what do they talk about for half the conference call? Their financing strategy. You know what? What are they going to use? Are they going to issue equity? Are they going to get more loans? What's their balance sheet looking like? So you know, obviously they're serious. They're publicly traded. Like you know, get if you're you want to be a serious real estate investor. Treat it like that. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. No, that was that was incredible. Really, really great stuff. Um, we need to move on, and and with that, we are going to move to the. It's time for the fire round. Fire. <laughs> All right, the fire round. Thirty-year fixed mortgage or a five-one arm, or let's just say, you know, I'll add to that any kind of. Uh, variable rate mortgage. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, from a pro- completely opposite, depending on who you're asking, the me, the uh, real estate investor, I go with the 30-year all day, every day. It's pretty much all my loans. Uh, as yep. a lender, I structure it a 5-1, a 3-1 if I can get away with it. <laughs> so so it's a bank's interest to try to get the lowest possible you know, term that's fixed and then go to variable, but it's in our yeah. interest to go the longest possible. Yeah. Okay. And so somewhere in the middle probably is where possibly you're going to end up meeting if you negotiate of some kind. Yep. And speaking of negotiation, if you want to get negotiate a really low rate right now, just um, and you're okay with the risk, I mean, just uh, ask what the rate would be on a completely variable loan. Uh, I've had several hotel investors do this because, you know, they've, their LTV is at a great position. They're okay with the risk. They've got the cash and they're just like, give me a completely variable rate. I don't, I'm fine with it. And they, and, um, man, they've gotten some extraordinary deals. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's risky, but it's, it's, uh, definitely risky. It's a strategy, especially if you have the cash and you can handle the risk. That's great. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Right on. All right. So, uh, hmm, no money down. It's one of those uh, phrases that that people like to pitch and sell as a as a way to to make things happen. So, is is there any way that you can see no money down deal happening with uh, with a traditional loan? No. Uh, I mean, it happens if you want to use collateral, like I was talking about other, like pledge an investment account, pledge, like cross collateralize it with another piece of property that you have paid off, something like that. But uh, a lot of the financing strategies that, you know, the gurus talk about and, and people ask about on the forums, you know, I know that they they work and they're out there, but generally speaking, I mean, they... It's just you're looking for a needle in a haystack. And, um, you know, it's just, I don't, for me personally, if, if you've got a structure in place that can uh, work around that, it's, it'd be best just to go with that first, versus just trying to find no money down. Yeah. No, that, that, that's great. Uh, how about this then? Next question. Somebody outside of the U.S., can they still get a loan, a commercial loan? Are they still, are you working with these people? These no. people. <laughs> uh, here's here's well, here's the reason. Uh, here's the primary problem with that is they have foreign tax returns, and so that's real. That's impossible to underwrite for somebody like me who, you know, I don't deal with. Even if Canadian tax returns, I mean, you need to deal with a com- Canadian bank because they're they know how to underwrite a Canadian. You know, yeah. so uh, that's the primary problem with that. Okay. 
All right. And there probably are some banks out there, somebody that does it. Oh, absolutely. Like larger banks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right on, right on. All right. So can somebody go and get a commercial loan on multiple single family houses or do they have to, because we're dealing with single family houses, do they have to go through a traditional? Yeah. Portfolio loans are, uh, it's really interesting. People talk about it in the Bigger Pockets forum like it's this unicorn, you know? (laughs) And, uh, And it's really not. I mean, a big deal. I mean, I do them all, I underwrite and loan, you know, we make them all the time. It's not that you have to have a proper presentation for your, you know, your lender. And you obviously have to have equity and, you know, it has to be a good position from a portfolio perspective, but they're not, they're not that hard to get for community banks and even credit unions. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. And I know there's there's a bunch of players who started to really jump into this space, particularly like Blackstone with their B2R finance and others who are uh, really targeting people specifically for these types of loans as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's going to be probably bigger in the future as I, I think that's probably how lending is going. Because I know a lot of my friends that do that. They uh, put all their, they have equity investors and then they, you know, are, they put up all cash up front and then they get a portfolio and then they do a cash out to grow or to pay themselves back or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think things are definitely changing right now. It'll be kind of fascinating to see where it all ends up. Yeah. So, all right. Well, suddenly there's a lot of uh, interest in, in single family space, which, yep. you know, hasn't really had interest for a long time, but uh, you know, there, there's uh, the wolves are starting to come in. <laughs> so yeah. to speak. Well, cool. All right. Hey, let's move on to our final round of the show. This would be our famous four. What is your favorite real estate book? I don't, I've thought about this for a while and I'm actually going to give one that's, it talks a little bit about real estate, but I don't think anybody's recommended it on the podcast before, but it's MJ DeMarco's uh, Fastlane book, Millionaire Fastlane. It sounds like a cheesy title, but, uh, he talks about building systems around real estate in the in the end part of the book, and it's it's like Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week, but I think it, it's a it's just different. I like it more because it's more granular and it just gives more details about building systems for your business. Yeah, cool. Okay. I, I think I remember uh, he was over on I think Pat Flynn's podcast a while back. Yep. Yeah. So I've heard the name. I'll check that book out. Mm-hmm. Right on. Right on. All right. How about your favorite business book? What is it? Favorite business book. Uh, I'm going to go with 80-20 sales and marketing. (laughs) But, you know, I'm big into like 80-20, you know, just uh, how to figure out like how to scale a business and things like that. So I'm all just, I'm completely focused on, you know, Pareto's principles. So I'll just go with that. Okay, cool. And and I'll link to those in the show notes also. So All right. What about uh, hobbies? Any any uh, any type of things that you do for fun outside of real estate? Yeah, I'll, I actually like to hunt and fish and uh, do that here in the south. Uh, uh, like to ski in the winter. So that's nice. That's, nice. that's my hobbies. Yeah. Right on. You guys have skiing down there in Tennessee. We uh, we. We do, but it's a little embarrassing. So I usually actually, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like to tell people. <laughs> uh, we but actually, like 18 of your mountains and one of yeah, ours, right? Yeah, it's, it's pretty embarrassing, especially for you guys out west. But uh, no, I, I like, I'm going 
couple weeks out west. Uh, so yeah, that's cool. cool. Oh, nice. All right. Uh, last question of the famous four: What do you believe sets apart successful investors from those who are not? One word: organization. And so I would just, you know, again, like I was talking about the presentation and things like that. You know, if you want to just email in all your tax returns and whatever somebody's asking you, or you want to have like a, a comprehensive plan, presentation, book, whatever you want to call it, and then hand that out. I mean, you're at such a better advantage strategically uh, to negotiate, to get the loan you want. You know, it's just a, a better position to be in. Awesome. I love right. it. I love it. That is great. All right. Well, Jimmy, listen, man, it's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure. We definitely appreciate having you on the show. I want to thank you for taking the time. And where can people find out more about you? Yeah. Hit, hit me up on Bigger Pockets. I have a like negotiating guide. I, I have linked in my bio for everybody. And then I have a, uh, on my personal blog is realestatefinancehq.com. So cool. Cool. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and we'll, uh, we'll see you around. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. All right, everybody. That was our show, show 55 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 55. I, uh, I don't know, man. I know I said it during the show a couple of times, but uh, that, was, that was awesome. What do you think, Brandon? That was awesome. I, I learned probably like a thousand new things that I had no idea about. So uh, hopefully everyone else out there feels the same way. Yeah, and, and we all learned that you're quite disorganized. So <laughs> I'm <great>. so unorganized. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad to know that. You know, I'm glad yeah. you know, it's been a you've been working for me and I'm just figuring that out. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely a mess. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's all good. No, that was great. That was great. Well listen, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Again, I know I'm super proud that that we we crossed our million listen down uh, um, million listen milestone. So thanks again for for those of you who who uh, are are regulars and and if you're new to the show, get back there and check out our previous 54 shows. There there there's something to learn in every single one of them. So definitely make sure to do that. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com/biggerpockets, Twitter, twitter.com/biggerpockets. If you're not following us on those places, you know, if if for nothing else, it's a great place to kind of keep up to date on, on new content that we're sharing. But we also share news. If ever there's a problem with the site or anything else, you know, it, it's a good channel to turn to to find out about what's going on. Uh, otherwise, if you're not active on Bigger Pockets, get active on Bigger Pockets. Jump in, get a profile created, and don't just sit there with an empty profile. Introduce yourself to the community, get involved, ask questions, help people out, connect, communicate with your peers, participate. Because what happens when you participate, Brandon? You make money. <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, I I think that's that's pretty fair. I mean, those people who are engaging, connecting, participating, are 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 getting to know their their peers, and their peers are getting to know them. It's it's invaluable. So uh, do it. Get in there and make it happen. Uh, that's about it. That's all I got for you. Thank you so much for putting up with Brandon. <laughs> and uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll see you for the next one. Are you not going to take us out? Okay, fine. I give him the opportunity. He chose not to. <laughs> this is Josh Dorkin. Signing off. Damn it. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio. Simplifying real estate for investors large and small. 
If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Here to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? This is Fat Joshua. You're the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. <laughs> what? The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.